Now, grab your Bibles, if you will, and turn and open with me to the book of James. For those of you who are here for the first time, uh, what we do here, at least for the past couple of years, is the Sundays between um, Mother's Day and Father's Day, we look at family issues. We start Mother's Day and we finish, well, sometimes we finish Father's Day, but we try. Let me read you um, just a couple of three verses out of, um, out of James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If you can find that, I'm going to read you beginning, uh, read from that, beginning at verse 12. And I'm going to read uh, just a paragraph through verse 15. Here we go. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown... Brings forth death. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God, that is something that endures forever. Guys, um, the names David Polison and Paul Tripp and Ed Welch, those may not be household names to you. Maybe you don't recognize any of those names. But uh, those guys and a couple of others, they have a counseling center up at um, up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, And you'll be pleased to know that um, though <laughs> I have made it very clear that I don't consider myself much of a counselor, I, I do try to get better at it. And so um, they've written some stuff. These guys, this counseling center up in Philadelphia, they, they continue to write stuff and and some of it is just real good. At least it's been very, very helpful to me. And, and, and I, I thought of this. I thought, well, maybe I should share some of the stuff that they're teaching me with, with the people that I love. You. So wouldn't you know it that I'm trying to turn counseling information into preaching. Uh, that's the best way I know how to do it. In fact, uh, one of my heroes, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that the best counseling is really done from the pulpit. So we'll see. We'll, uh, hopefully that'll be so, and, and, and you will profit thereby. I told you back on Mother's Day that we were going to spend some time looking at the home, but a particular issue in the home, and that being anger. We talked about angry husbands and anger in the home on Mother's Day, and so for the next two sermons, which unfortunately are going to be separated by a month, I, I want to talk to you about angry kids. You know, I really don't know what to call them. I hate the word kids. I don't want to call you children. I don't want to call you students because some of you, but I'm going to use the term children. So just, you know, correct me in between services, but... I want to talk to you uh, a couple of sermons on the issue of parenting angry kids. 
You know, a child's out-of-controlled anger can easily be, easily become the, the dominating factor of one's home. Your, your whole family life um, begins to revolve around this issue that one of my children may have. An angry child plays to our worst fears as parents. Um, like, oh, I failed. Or maybe we've got a bad seed. Um, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a happy time when parents, perhaps for the first time, realize, I, I have a child or children with a real anger issue. Those little darlings that uh, back when they were two years old, we somewhat euphemistically called them precocious. Or um, we called them strong-willed. Or we even said, oh, he's quite a handful. (laughs) Well, those two-year-olds have now become the center of family turmoil. And more of my life's energy can be consumed by dealing with my angry son or daughter than any other single issue that I face as, a, as an adult. Um, huge disruptions. I mean, you've been in them. Huge disruptions, like like um, like an active volcano just gushing lava all over the house, and and unfortunately, it seems like the the eruptions are occurring more and more frequently. So, so what's a parent to do? Let's start this morning by taking a stab at at empathy. Uh, That is, maybe trying to just step back and try and understand a bit of this, and then we'll we'll do something else before we close. But let's take a let's try to understand the sources of anger. Um, Your child is angry at the world. Um. By that, he means, or she means, or maybe reflect, that going to the average American high school is is not an easy thing anymore, guys. Um, it's It's an aggressive, competitive, abusive, seductive environment. I mean, your children can be absolutely disemboweled. Because they wore the wrong clothes. Kids are cruel. There's, there's huge disloyalty at this age. And, and, and gross materialism. And a, and a vicious sins of the tongue. Vicious sins of the tongue. Yeah, our, our world as adults is a stressful place. But so is theirs. 
or I'm mad at God. You know, no Christian parent ever likes to hear that. I mean, that we've, we've come to this, that, that my, my child has decided that he's angry at God. But, you know, it, it, it really might not be as bad as you think. Um, because it, it, it really kind of goes like this. I'm mad at God because I don't like my looks. I, I, I don't like what I look like. You know, the, the, the size of my ears or the, the shape of my nose. I, I'm too short. I hate my hair. Um, that mirror that you put inside the bedroom door in your child's bedroom, that can be a scene of some pretty angry outbursts morning after morning. I, I don't like who I am. I'm a nerd. I, I'm, I'm not outgoing. I, I'm not very witty. I'm, I'm dumb. I, I don't like me. Or, I, I don't like my situation. I don't like where we live. We're poor. Why did God have to make my dad a preacher? Or a missionary? I hate the choices that God has made in my life. And, and how he's arranged my world. It seems to me that he has been spectacularly unfair. Or I'm angry at you. Or they're angry at you. The parents, that is. Um, you know, we, we, we parents, we can, we can be pretty insensitive, you know? You know that text in um, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 that says, Do not provoke your children to wrath. You know why that's in there, don't you? Because we can provoke our children to wrath. <laughs> um, we're, we're inconsistent. We're moody. We're unfair at times. You know that sentence that we all love so much? The sentence that goes like this. Because I told you to. Well, you know, that can, that can be pretty provocative to a budding young teenager. Might be the world, it might be God, it might be you. But we're back to the same question. What's, what's a set of parents to do? Now, I'm really not quite sure with whom I should speak this morning. Should I speak to the parents or should I speak to the kids? I don't know. Maybe the second next service I'll speak to the kids. I don't know. But, um, I, I guess it really doesn't matter. So what I want to do is just go back and forth. And, and you can sort it out, I'm sure. What I have for you is just some suggestions, some some observations, some insights, some steps that might, at least I hope, help. I only have two this morning. I've got more, but we're going to have to save those for the second half of this, which is a month out. But uh, I only have two things in terms of insights or observations or hopefully steps that will help. And here's number one, and it's addressed, it's, it's addressed more to the angry child than it is to the parents. My dear friend, the first thing that you must do is realize that no one, 
No one is responsible for your anger but you. Not God, not your parents, not your high school. No, no. You're responsible. Brian makes me so angry. And that's not so. Brian didn't do that. You did that. Traffic just makes me crazy. Well, you might be crazy, but it ain't traffic's fault. You have got to stop looking for somebody to blame. That's way too easy. It's, it's the coward's way out, guys. You have made choices that have brought you to where you are. And you've got to know this. Please listen to me. Angry teenagers grow up to be angry adults who then make angry husbands and angry wives and angry neighbors and angry employees. Guys, what I'm saying is these choices that you're making, they will have lifelong consequences for you. Your, your anger says a whole lot more about your own heart than it does your situation. Forget your situation, and you need to understand that the one who's responsible for the responses that you're making to your situation is nobody, nobody, nobody but you. You're dooming yourself. You're hijacking your own future. So we got to do something about this. And for the Christian, there are lots of answers. That's, that's good news. Now, for the non-Christian, the best the world has to offer you is an anger management seminar, which might help you getting your job back, but it's not going to help the issue. But for the Christian, there's lots of solutions. Now, here's where I think you've got to start. You've got to stop viewing yourself as a victim and start seeing yourself as an agent. And let me explain what I mean by those terms, because those are key terms, guys. You've got to stop viewing yourself as a, as a victim and start seeing yourself as an agent. A victim says something like this. This is a victim. A victim says, you did this to me, and therefore it's your fault that I'm like this, and therefore I am not responsible for fixing this. Listen, partner, we're all victims. We've all been victimized to one degree or or another. None of us were raised in perfect homes by perfect parents and given perfect bodies. Get over it. Make choices by which you get over this victim mentality that you've got. Let me, let me just insert something here real quickly because I think this is kind of a specialized issue. Um, I want to mention one thing that I think is, is becoming more and more prevalent. Abuse. Sexual abuse. 
Is that what you're angry about? Well, my dear friend, in no way do I want to minimize the trauma of what you've experienced. You've been sinned against. And you've been sinned against greatly. And God hates what's happened to you. And the Christian community needs to gather around you and support you and love you and comfort you and help in any way we can. But you did not become a sinner after the abuse. Oh, no. You were a sinner long before the abuse. And now your sinful responses to what is happening, what happened to you, is taking you down a path of nothing but spiritual illness. It's not worth it, my dear friend. Don't let that horrible event shape you and ruin the future that's in front of you. Stop taking a warm bath in your own self-pity. You know, um, there's a statement that Paul makes in Galatians chapter 5, I think. No, it's chapter 6. Um, where where he says, um, um, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, uh, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh, he will uh, reap corruption. But you know the text. What you're experiencing right now is what you sowed. It's just the harvest. It's just harvest time. You're reaping what you sowed by choices that you're making in response to this horrible event. You've got to understand this, my dear friend. And this is good news. I may have been victimized. But I am also an agent. And by that I mean this. As an agent... I can make choices. I can make decisions in response to the the various issues that I face. I can choose to respond in a different way than I'm right now responding. I'm in charge. I'm in charge of my responses to all of these negative factors in my life, either real or imagined. And not only that, God has given instructions, He's provided wisdom, He's he's made promises to aid you in making the right choices. And, And some of those choices may involve forgiveness, it may involve adjustment, changes, it may involve repentance, Gang, the reason that I read you James 1, verses 12 through 13, actually I was really interested in 13 through 15, but I didn't want to break up the paragraph. There's there's a lot said in the paragraph that I read to you this morning out of James chapter 1, but the primary thing that I want you to see out of James 1, 13 through 15, is this. No one causes another person to sin. This is not your daddy's fault. 
It's, it's not your high school's fault. So take responsibility for the mess that you're in. Choose. Choose that I will not be defined by my situation, but defined by the grace of Christ that has overtaken me. And then make choices in light of the promises that God has made to you. Those promises that are included in this book are more real than the emotions that overtake you from time to time. They're more substantial. They're more reliable than the emotion that sweeps over you. It's time to stop being a victim and become an agent. That's, that's the first one. Here's the second one, the second observation or suggestion or whatever you want to call it, step, whatever. you got to get this part straight too, my dear friend. Anger is sin. Serious sin. Now, I, I know what Ephesians 4 verse 26 says about be angry but do not sin. I know that's there. But you know as well as I do that the anger that is, that is encouraged in Ephesians 4 is not what you've got. The, the whole idea that I'm overcome with zeal for the defense of righteousness, well, that's not your problem, is it? So don't try to hide behind Ephesians 4. Your anger is self-terminating, self-protecting, self-motivated, and that does no good for nobody. If you've got your Bible still open, take a look with me in Matthew 5 as to what Jesus says about this whole issue. This is um, Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 21. Matthew 5, 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, um, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Gang, Jesus puts murder and anger in the same category with the same consequences. The only difference is that murder has a gun. And one of these days, in the midst of your boiling over in rage, you might have a gun. Then you might be guilty of murder. Listen to this. This is, um, this is Galatians 5. Don't, don't turn. Just, this is a list of the, the deeds of the flesh. Listen to this. This is uh, Galatians 5, verse 19. Uh, now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Man, those are ugly. Enmity, strife, jealousy. Mama. You know what the next one is? Fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
But that anger business is keeping some pretty, pretty ugly company. Remember, on Mother's Day, I pointed out a passage in Proverbs 22. It says, don't make friends with an angry man because it's contagious. I mean, that's just some stuff that you don't want to get on you. You don't want to get that stuff on you. <laughs> no, sir. Because it is serious, serious sin. Don't chalk this up to, well, this is just my personality. You know, I'm kind of fiery. Or, um, you know, I am who I am. No. You need to call it what it is. It is serious, egregious, grievous, life-debilitating, future-destroying sin. It's serious, guys. And it's nobody's fault but yours. I alone am to blame if this is true of me. But the good news that I'd like to leave you with, guys, is that you're not alone when it comes to solving this thing. You're alone to blame. <laughs> but you're not alone in terms of solution. What, what I'm asking you to do is, is really something that is utterly impossible on your own. The remedy is, is, is a supernatural one. It, it begins with repentance and it continues in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let me, let me try to tease that out a bit and I'm done. Guys, the only real victim that ever lived is Jesus Christ. He was responsible for nothing that happened to him. He set his face as flint to go to the cross and be punished for sins that he never once committed. Now, I know what I'm saying is this, guys. As you take in what Jesus Christ has done for you, things begin to change. As, as your relationship with Jesus Christ grows, so will your ability to control your angry behavior. As you, as you take the fullness of the gospel and press it into your heart, a, a message of grace a, that, the, that the innocent has died for the guilty, that, the, that Christ was condemned in my place, then anger begins to wane. Those tumors, they begin to shrink. And, and, in, and in its place, you, you live, you live love. You live approved. You live accepted. You live 
safe. All as the result of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You take His great sacrificial work, press that down into the base of your soul, you take that in, you memorize Scripture, you, you sing hymns that discuss it and celebrate it, you drink it down, and, and you'll watch anger on a diet. It'll, it'll get smaller and smaller. Gang, change will not last unless it is rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ and the promises that that cross makes to us. And, and I guess the primary promise that I would have you fix on this morning is the promise of a transformed heart. As that takes place, I begin to get in charge of things that do nothing but damage me and everybody around me. We'll say more, but it'll be a month from now. Our Father, I do pray that you will use what little has been said today to uh, begin a, give us a start. Give us a start as parents. Give us a start as young men and women. Might they begin to see of the, the seriousness of their outbursts and the wrongness of their blaming. And might little by little as we take in and drink deeply of a, of, a, of a message about the innocent suffering for the guilty, might that begin to modify all of our choices and behaviors, making them more like the one we so love. Father, if you've brought people here this morning who have not yet met this Savior of ours, might they see him in all of his crucified beauty. Might he become, might his beauty be that which irresistibly draws men and women to his side. We commit ourselves to this message, to this gospel, a gospel that promises a transformed heart. And we do so in Jesus' name.